Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22? Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 35 through 40. Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word, I pray that we would be given understanding into what you have for each one of us. I pray that we would understand those simple truths that you have for us. Lord, sometimes it's simple to understand, but harder to do. So I pray that we would also be willing to do that which you have called us to. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I'll never forget my high school geometry teacher. His name was Mr. Humble. And he was such a wonderful communicator and teacher. He was able to make that really complicated subject, geometry, easy to understand. He made it interesting to high school sophomores, geometry. And all the best communicators are like that. They have the ability to make the complex simple, to make it interesting, to make it something that you can easily understand and implement in your life. Jesus was a communicator like that. He's the teacher par excellence. And we see that so wonderfully in our text this morning. In our text this morning, Jesus is asked a very complicated question. And he's able to give a very wonderful, easy to understand answer. So check it out. Look at verse 35, Matthew 22. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, uh uh-oh, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus has asked this question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the first and greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment in the law? Now, you notice from the text that this question wasn't asked sincerely. This lawyer was testing Jesus, no doubt trying to belittle him and embarrass him, humiliate him publicly. As you know, the religious establishment of Judaism in the days of Jesus comprised of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, the scholars. They all hated Jesus, most of them. They oppose Jesus at every turn in his ministry. And they're doing that here in this chapter. In fact, in this whole chapter, 
this religious crowd is trying to trap Jesus in his words, asking him loaded questions. So a Pharisee asked Jesus about paying taxes to the Roman Empire, which was very controversial. Jesus, if you remember, answered that brilliantly. Then a Sadducee comes up and says, asks him a really theological, controversial question about the resurrection, and Jesus answered that brilliantly. And so here they send their top dog. This is the expert, the top scholar on the Old Testament law. Jesus, what do you say is the greatest commandment in the law? Now understand that this guy was trying to draw Jesus in to a highly intellectual academic debate on the law and all of the commandments. The scholars, the lawyers like them, they spent a lot of time debating the law, ranking the various commandments in the law. In fact, they had documented 613 specific commandments in the law to keep. 248 commandments were categorized as positive. 365 were categorized as negative. They also categorized some commandments as being heavy, some as being light. There were ceremonial laws, civil laws, moral laws, ritualistic laws. So these guys had turned the whole law thing into a complicated mess. Very confusing. And this guy's trying to draw Jesus in to that debate. And what he's basically saying is, Jesus, you're with the big boys now. You may be a little country preacher from Nazareth. But we put a lot of intellectual, academic muscle power into this whole deal with the commandments of the law. So what say you, Jesus, publicly in front of all these people? What's your take? What's the greatest commandment in the law? Now, I absolutely love it because Jesus answered that question. He knew exactly what they were doing, but he answered that question. And he answered the question immediately. He didn't need to consult with other rabbis. He didn't need to investigate legal precedent. What's the greatest commandment in the law? Right there. Immediate. Love God. Love God. With all your mind, with all your heart. With all your soul. That's the most important number one commandment. By the way, he quoted from the law. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then he goes on. He gives a two for one answer, right? They ask for the greatest. He gives them the greatest, the first and greatest. But then he says the second commandment also. The second greatest commandment in all of the law. Love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Brilliant. He summarized the entire law. In fact, Jesus said, on those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus says, 
If you were to keep those two commandments, if you were to dwell on those two commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, you would keep the law. You would keep all of the commandments of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and you would fulfill every intent of every commandment in the law with the right motivation. If that's what you thought about, those two things, absolutely beautiful. Summed up everything. Do you want to spend every day of your life thinking through 613 commandments? You wake up every morning, okay, I got 365 things to avoid today. 218 things that I need to do. Or would you rather let those two principles navigate every day in your life? I'm going to love God. And I'm going to love people. Jesus gave that answer to those guys. And it was true then, and it's still true today. And I would suggest to you, my brother and sister in Christ, as, as Christians, that those need to be our top two priorities in life. Those need to be what we're thinking about every single day. Number one, love God. Jesus said, You're to love the Lord your God. The Greek word for love, it's agapeo, it's agape. It's the highest form of love. It's the way God loves us. We're to love God self-sacrificially. God is to be way, way, way more important than you. Serving him. We're to love God with everything. It says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. That would be with your intellect, with your thought life, what you dwell on. The best way to love God with all your mind is to fill your mind with truth about who he is and how he wants you to live. And where do we find knowledge about God and what we're supposed to do? Well, we find it in his word. You want to love God with all your mind? Fill your mind with God's word. Fill it. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing. You know, that is the way we as Christians love God with our mind. Let, let, it wants to, let it. Let the word of God dwell in you. Richly. So we should all be given full attention to the word of God, our personal devotions, our daily reading, meditation, memorization of God's word, Bible studies. Man, everything about the Bible is there. The Bible gives us information about every area in life, from finances to dating to friendship to marriage to parenting to conflict resolution to every possible thing that you can face. In life, fill your mind with his truth. Love God with your intellect. 
By the way, some of you may have been Christians for many years now, but you've never made that, that commitment to, to read through the scripture regularly and do that daily. I highly recommend. I promise you, if you've never done that and you start to do it, it will change your life. Absolutely change your life. Love God with your mind. Jesus says, love God with your heart. The heart is the seat of your emotions, your feelings, your affections, your passions. In your love for God, there should be an emotional component to it. You love God. You you love him with your heart, with your affections. You enjoy him. You enjoy spending time with God. You know, do not let Christianity, and and some people do this, they turn Christianity into this cold, rigid, man-made religion where you're keeping all these rules and regulations. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes did in the days of Jesus. Here's 613 laws. Keep them. You'll be holy like us religious leaders. And it's so sad that many, many Christians, even they, they give their lives to Christ, they become born again, but then they turn the whole Christian life into this legalistic, rule-keeping thing. Listen, the Christian life is a dynamic, intimate, living, personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. When you get saved, you become a child in the family of God. God becomes your heavenly father. You become a member of the church, which is the bride of Christ. The intimacy of marriage and relationship and interaction. You get that with God. Love him with your heart. And then Jesus says... Love the Lord your God with your soul. Suke in the Greek that speaks of breath. Literally, it's a word that could be translated breath with your living breath. Sometimes you'll read this command, love God with all your strength. The idea is love the Lord your God with all of your activity, with every breath in life, with everything you do. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's loving God with your soul, with your, with your life's breath. You do everything is unto him. Your career, your recreation, your business, your interaction with people, your chores, your projects. everything that you do for the glory of God. So the idea here is your love for God colors everything about you and the way you live and what's important to you. You love God with your mind. You find out what he wants. You love God with your breath, with every life. You're going to do what he tells you to. And you love God with your heart because you're going to do it with delight. Imagine 
If every Christian woke up every morning and lived their day with that thought, I'm going to love God with everything today. Man, you'd keep the law. You'd live a life that's way better than keeping a bunch of commandments. At one time, Daniel Webster was considered the greatest of all living Americans. He was outstanding as a statesman, lawyer, orator, and a leader of men. Twenty-five national leaders attended a select banquet in his honor, and one man at the banquet asked Mr. Webster, Sir, what is the greatest thought that ever entered your mind? And without hesitation, Webster replied, The greatest thought that ever entered my mind was the thought of my responsibility to God. And as he spoke, he wept. He excused himself from the banquet, went outside to get control of his emotions. When he returned, he talked for 30 minutes about man's responsibility to God. Boy, do you see the intense emotion and mental desire? And feeling that weight of responsibility. Wanting to live for God. Man, that should characterize all of us. We love God with our hearts, our minds, our souls, everything. So that's number one. Jesus gave us a second thing to think about. Just two. Love your neighbor. The second commandment. Now, it's the second commandment, according to what Jesus says, the second greatest. But notice exactly how Jesus puts it in verse 39. And the second is like it. Like what? It's like the first commandment. In the original Greek, that means equal importance. Tied together. Two things. Love God, love your neighbor. My brother and sister in Christ, throughout the scripture, you'll notice that those things are tied directly together. We're called to love God and love people. And in fact, they go together hand in glove. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. God is love. Just tied. Goes on to say, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Listen to this. John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? If we really know God and we love God, we're going to love people. And it's the same word. Love your neighbor. Agapeo. Love your neighbor self-sacrificially, unconditionally, 
put other people way, way above you. You love them more than yourself. You as a Christian should love people way more than you love money, your career, your new car, your house, your influence, your power, your connections. We should love people. Now here's the real amazing eureka moment that many of us just had this last Wednesday as we're going through the engagement project with Dell Tackett. He took us to this. What is the specific word that's used here? In verse 39. The second is like you, like it. You shall love your whom? Neighbor. So it's not a, uh, a people in general type of thing. It's the word neighbor. Did Jesus just say, you'll keep the whole law if you love your neighbor? Paul the apostle says the exact same thing. Listen to Romans 13. Paul writing, For the commandments you shall not commit adultery... You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up, summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. He says in Galatians 5, listen to this, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James, in James chapter 2, verse 8, writes, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. James, Paul. Jesus, all talk about this idea that if you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill all the law. So that's pretty important. What is this word neighbor? In the Greek, it's pleason, and here's what it means. The one near to you. The one who's close to you. You're to love that one that's close and near to you. Could that be the one who lives near you? Could Jesus literally be speaking about a neighborhood? Your next door neighbor on the right, your next door neighbor on the left, the house that behind you, the house across the street. Love your neighbors. Let, Dell asked the question, and it's been quite a challenge, and I've been thinking through it, and I'll ask you, what would happen if every Christian family in every neighborhood shared Christ with their next-door neighbors? The ones that live right there close to you. It's a radical thing to think about. Now, the whole community within neighborhood, I, I think, has, has changed so much over the years. I remember when I was in my elementary years, 
we uh, lived in Dayton, Ohio. And we lived in this beautiful neighborhood. It was so beautiful. Nobody had a rock wall or fence. And so all of our backyards that butted up against each other, there were no walls, so it created these giant parks in the back of our homes. And my brother and I got to know every kid in the neighborhood, and we had so many kids. We'd play, ba- we'd play nine-on-nine baseball with the catcher's gear and all that. Broke a lot of windows, but had a great time. <laughs> Just these giant parks in the backyard. We knew all of our neighbors. Our neighbors became like family. We ate dinners together. We studied the Bible together. My mom would do good news clubs, and all the kids in the, in the neighborhood would show up. That, Neighborhood communities, I think, used to be like that. But now we know what's sort of happened. We still live in neighborhoods, but we're isolated. We hide away and watch our Netflix. We're watching all of the binge streaming. We're on our phones. Oh, we're too busy for neighbors. Yet Jesus said we're to love our neighbor. And the whole challenge in this thing that we're doing on Wednesday night is, what if the church would turn that around? What if you began reaching out to your neighbor? What if God put you on that block as the family that has light and truth to shine? You know, there's so many opportunities in a neighborhood. There's so many opportunities. We can impact each other so many ways. Several years ago, I was trimming these trees out in the front yard. And man, I, I'm so bad at things like that. And I was, I was using the wrong tool. I was on a ladder, tiptoed. I mean, I'm really blessed that I didn't fall off the ladder. Um, but an elderly neighbor was walking by. He noticed me. He said, hi. We talked for a while. Fifteen minutes later, he showed up with his pickup, and he said, here's the tool you need. And it was this long, extension tool with the right thing. He gave it to me, and let me tell you, I would have followed that man to the ends of the earth. <laughs> and after I gave that tool back, I met him, an elderly Christian elder at a Christian church who had recently lost his wife. I met a brother, and he was you know, a few, few houses down across the road. We impact each other. And as the Christians, we should be the ones that are doing the impacting. You know, we've lived in our neighborhood now for 22 years, and it's sort of become known around the neighborhood. That's where the pastor and his wife live. And people have come and gone. But we get to talk with people, and Kim, she does her morning walk every day and meets all these different people, and we get to have an influence. And there was the time this elderly lady next door or a couple doors down knocked on our door in the morning. Can you come over? Her husband had fallen out of bed, and she needed help picking him up, and so I was able to go over there and do that and then pray with that family. 
Just love on that family. Just be there. Just loving my neighbor. Are you that family in your neighborhood? They can get messy. You know, let's admit it. Some of the most irritating people we've ever met in our lives. Our neighbors, right? And there was a time where I was mowing the lawn for the elderly widow next door. I would, every time we mowed our lawn, I would take my lawnmower over and mow her lawn. And she began telling the whole neighborhood that the pastor stole her lawnmower. She got senile, and so there was a rumor going all around. He stole our lawnmower. Of course, everybody knew. Everybody knew what was going on. But you know what? Life is really messy. And a lot of people are really hurting. And they live right next door. Right across the street. Love your neighbor. There are other applications, no doubt. I think those who are near, your coworkers, people that you see day in and day out at work, those are close to you. Young person, the people you go to school with, teachers, maybe the different places that you frequent Regularly, maybe there's that coffee shop that you're always hanging out at. You ever talk to the barista? Give them a smile, engage. Kim, she does her workout around the neighborhood. I'll, I'll go to the gym like four or five times a week, and I got to tell you, I go in there and I know the people, I see the faces, I see the people where I check in, and I have the opportunity to talk and share. There's opportunity everyone. When you go to a doctor's appointment, what about the people you're waiting with? Maybe that grocery store that you constantly visit. That lady who checks you out, that guy who checks you out every time. It's your favorite restaurant. The people that sit next to you when you get on an airplane. sums up the whole law. Think of it, the whole law. Love God and love your neighbor. Love those that are near to you that are close to you. You know, you could even sum it up even further. It's the word love. That is the whole goal of the Christian faith, love. God has loved you as a Christian You are the recipient of the most abundant, lavish love possible. Think how much God has loved you. And John says in 1 John chapter 4, we love him because he first loved us. So God loves you. God saves you. God blesses you. And you get to love him back. And love your neighbor. Can we just keep those things on the front burners as we live our lives as Christians?
Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, we thank you for this very simple, easy to understand statement that you made, which sums up life, how you want us to live. Father, I also want to thank you that you you told us not to do this in our own strength, but to do it in your power. And so you've given us your spirit to help us as we reach out to others. Lord, I pray that we would think, think through what you have spoken to each one of us. Perhaps there's a neighbor that you should definitely be reaching out to. And the Holy Spirit has let you know beyond any shadow of a doubt. Be sensitive. People are to be way more important in your life than all the busyness of activity. Love them. Reach out to them. Father, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you. We love you. And help us to love others in your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's.